1962, New York City. What does that bring to your mind? Tall buildings, narrow streets. It's late afternoon, so the lights are starting, the, the light in the sky is starting to go and the lights in the buildings start to come on. A warm glow comes from an office on the 32nd floor. And if you were to peep through the window, remember this is the early 1960s, what would you see in there? You'd see a bunch of blokes. There would be smoke filling the air. They'd all be dressed in shirt sleeves and I call them braces. What do the Americans call them? Suspenders. Another picture entirely in my mind. <laughs> braces. And these men are sitting around a table and they're looking worried, they're looking stressed, they're anxious. Because what they're looking at is a graph as if it was on that screen up there. And this graph shows a downward red line as their sales diminish. And they're trying to sell something not unlike this, shampoo. Shampoo they're trying to sell. We need ideas, we need ideas. I'm not going to do the accent, you get the picture. We need ideas, what can we do to restore our sales? I know, somebody says, let's double the price. But no, nobody will buy it if you double the price. Okay, we'll reduce the size of the bottle and charge the same price. Yeah, that's a bit of a starter. We'll use cheaper ingredients and then we'll make more profit. Yeah, a good idea. And then in the corner, some bright spark chimes in. A young person, a young person says, I can double your sales with one word. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. I can. What's it say on the back? It says, apply to wet hair, lather, rinse. I can double your sale with one word. Add, repeat. Well, you'll have to wait to find out why I'm telling you that story. Hold it in your minds, though, because I'd like you to hold that in your mind all of this week, but I'll tell you why. It's a good story. I don't know if it's true. I've heard it before. Hold it in your mind, and meantime, let's go back further in time to today, in 1840, 182 years ago, as the Te, uh, Te Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, the founding document of our nation, our Turanga Waiwai, if you like, our home as a nation, the place where we stand, where that treaty was signed. On the 6th of February, 1840, two parents gave birth to a child, one parent, was the, were the Rangatira Māori, the Māori chiefs. The other party was the Crown, the representatives of the Queen. And who was the midwife of this birth? The church, the missionaries, midwife, midwived this birth. They gave birth to an agreement, but more than that, a covenant, a covenant 
covenant, it's a concept we're used to in church, aren't we? And I was used to as a lawyer. A covenant is something more important than your average contract. Your average contract just concerns the two people who make the deal. A covenant goes much, much further. It's a much bigger commitment. It contains a promise to do something that you will do. That's how it should be. But sadly, those promises over the years have become something, to quote our wise young man here, that we say we'll do, but sometimes we don't. Sometimes we take back. So this treaty, this tiriti, that had such huge hopes, was signed between the two parents. And each year, for the past 50 years or so, I think, we've gone back to Waitangi and seen how it's going. You know how in your family you might stand your child against the doorframe and mark how tall they are every year. Waitangi Day is a really good opportunity to mark ourselves on the door of our, fa of our family house, our whare, and see how we're going. Because partnership understates the vision that was signed on the 6th of February, 1840. It was an agreement, it was a contract, it was a partnership, it was a covenant. And this is Covenant Sunday as well. One of the things we could have done today was to, to celebrate Covenant Sunday as we, as, as heirs to the Wesleyan tradition, recommit ourselves to our, to our faith and to commitment to our faith and to the things that are important in that. Instead, we're celebrating the covenant that formed Aotearoa New Zealand. Now, only 40 or so uh, Rangatira chiefs signed the treaty on the day. For the rest, the other 500 people who signed it, the document was taken around New Zealand by the missionaries. And huge buy-in was obtained as people signed the covenant right through the land. And Māori certainly saw what they were doing in terms of that biblical covenant as Anglican, Catholic, and Methodist ministers asked them to sign. The missionaries said they were concerned for Māori with the land grab that was beginning to happen and needed this covenant to take the nation forward. But sadly, despite their good intentions, there was a land grab. The wheels fell off and the promises haven't been honored. What's happened is colonization in the 182 years since the 6th of February, 1840. So today, the challenge for us as heirs to the Methodist tradition that birthed this treaty, who midwifed the treaty, our challenge is to play our role in putting right the wrongs of colonization whether, to use the words of the reading from Corinthians that we had, whether we are, whether or not we're wise, whether or not we're powerful, we each have a role to play in putting right the wrongs of colonization, to be decolonists, not just as taxpayers and as voters, although that's a good start, right, but as individuals and as a tenet of our faith not just as something we choose intellectually to do, but as something that's deep within our hearts, in our relationship with God. 
because the treaty was birthed in the presence of God. Well, that's easy to say, but where on earth do we start? Well, I'm reading a wee book at the moment, not the, Ox not the concise Oxford English Dictionary, you'll be glad to know. It's a much shorter book. It's one of the Bridget Williams books, texts, Imagining Decolonization. And I was interested in an article by a Pākehā writer whose name is completely escaping me, but I shall find it, Amanda Thompson. And, and this is where we go back to our shampoo, because Amanda Thompson says, and I agree with her, that often it's the simplest solutions that are the best, the one word that makes the difference, the small things that we can do that make us decolonizers. Uh, I'm going to talk a wee bit about that in a moment, but before I do, I just want to think about the word Pākehā, which many of us here are, and I'd say actually most of us here are, because not many of us had relatives who were on the treaty grounds that day at Waitangi. Some of us may have. Not many of us actually had ancestors who were even in New Zealand on that day in 1840, but some of us will have. But to a greater or lesser extent, I'd like to suggest that we're all Pākehā. Pākehā has consisted, according to Te Papa, so it's our national um, museum, must be right, three words, consists of three words, pā, came into contact with, ke, which is related to the word rereke, meaning different or unique, and ha, meaning that sharing or exchange of breath that you get in a hongi. So if you unpack the word, far from being a term of criticism or abuse, as it sometimes seems to be, it has a really powerful essence as the people we've met who share the essence of us all. The people we've met who share the essence of us all. So to one degree or other, we are all Pākehā, all we people who've come and our ancestors have come from all over the world, all sorts of different cultures. And this loss of our own culture, I think, is one of the downsides of colonization for the colonizers. We forget who we are. And I know that Pacific peoples have a slightly different word, palangi, which means something slightly different but related. So what, according to Amanda, can we do? And let me know if you'd like to borrow this after I've finished reading it. I'll start a little list. What do we do to discharge our God-given role as midwives of the future? First, let's start to use the words and use them right. It took me, and place names are a great place to start, uh, because we hear them. If you're a Radio National uh, listener like I am, you hear them on the weather report every day. So you hear them and how they're pronounced. It took me a long time to stop saying Taupo. That we, we go there quite a lot, and I still have to make myself say Topo, Topo. And uh, it took me a long time to get over a Tauranga as well, Tauranga. Listen. Listening is always a good place to start. And from the places, you can move into the words. And listening is another, in another way, another place to start. Listen to stories of Māori dispossession. Listen to stories of Māori health outcomes. Listen and don't judge. Don't tot. Don't turn it off. 
And the most important, th oh, third thing, speak up if you hear racist jokes or racist comments or read racist articles. Speak up. Don't just take it quietly. Say, no, come on now, that's not right, is it? And finally, and most importantly, as decolonizers, we have to accept that sometimes we'll have to give something up. We might not be first in the queue. We might have to wait. We might have to have slightly less good outcomes for ourselves in order to produce justice and equality for others. This week, if you remember that and you commit to that every time you wash your hair, if you have any, every time, or just polish your head if you haven't, if you remember those simple things every time you wash your hair, you will be a lot further by the, along by the end of the week. You will be becoming a decolonizer. So on this Covenant Sunday, let's commit. Yes, let's commit to our God-given role as decolonizers. Let's commit not to store up riches in this world, as, as in our Matthew reading, and to store up our treasures in the heaven that is the world today, the kingdom of God in this place. Let's all be decolonizers. Amen.